we do have a lot of uh, things to be praying for and um, health situations, all that. Yeah, be, be, look around sanctuary, and there are people here who well, maybe the Lord will lay it on your heart to pray for them each day this week and, and pick someone to be praying for this coming week. All right, if you could uh, really, really, really excel in one quality, which quality would you choose? And what would you like to be known for? You know, what, what would you like to have as your reputation uh, for excellence? And as you, as you know, we've been in the book of Philippians now for a few weeks. The theme of Philippians, the second chapter, is uh, godly humility. Uh, the humility that we see in Jesus Christ. And, and Paul started out talking about the example of Christ's humility. And he's a premier example. He's the best example of humility. And then he moved on to uh, his own life and how humility had changed his life and gave him the ability to handle situations uh, differently than he normally would have. And now we're going to study the, the end of chapter 2 of Philippians, and Paul's going to shine the spotlight on two of his co-workers, Timothy and Epaphroditus, and some uh, translations, you shorten, shorten that to Epaphras, and there are si- shining examples of Christ-like humility. And, and I'm, you know, I'm glad he, he included these two examples of Timothy and Epaphroditus. You know, if he had just talked about Christ and himself, then we might use it as an excuse and saying, well, you know, I'm not an apostle like Paul, and I'm certainly not Christ, and, and I'm just an ordinary Christian, so... You know, that kind of humility, that level of humility is above my spiritual pay grade. I, I know it's a great goal. I, I agree with it. That's what we should shoot for. But, but I'm just an ordinary Christian. But the humble mindset of Timothy and Epaphroditus takes away that excuse, that lame excuse. Christ-like humility is for all believers to experience and to express in our life. Every single Christian, right? Have you ever seen a proud Christian? You probably say, yeah, you know, periodically I see a proud Christian. Well, that's not the essence of the Christ-like life, is it? That's not the Christian life. We are to live humble lives. Now, by way of introduction, uh, Timothy, the name Timothy means one who honors God, one who honors God. And and Timothy consistently was a God-honoring person, And then the name Epaphroditus means charming. I don't think he was a prince, but if he was, then he was Prince Charming. All right, I got, got, you know, thank you for a little chuckle there. I appreciate that. Uh, I I call Epaphroditus and Timothy two shining stars because of what we studied last week. Last week, uh, Paul made it very clear that when Christians overcome their mumbling and grumbling and disputes and fighting, and when they learn through humility to work together as a team in unity, they shine like the stars of heaven for the world to see. And the the world is looking at Christians, and they look at how Christians live, and when they see the light of Christ shining through our lives, it increases our testimony. And humility gave these two examples of ordinary Christians, if you will, Timothy and Epaphroditus, they, they gave them power over the pitfall of petty disputes, and they were shining like the stars of heaven. 
You know, when we bicker and we fight and we start getting into petty disputes, it takes away our testimony, and we don't want that to happen. It's not worth it. I want to tackle today's scripture in two parts. The first part describes Timothy, Mr. God-honorer, and the second will be Epaphroditus, and we'll call him Mr. Charming. And we'll discover the area that he excelled in that went far past mere charm. But let's look again at the life of Timothy, Philippians 2, 19 through 24. I'm going to read it out of the New Living Translation. And I want you to listen carefully to find out what Timothy excelled in, the quality he excelled in. If the Lord Jesus is willing, I hope to send Timothy to you soon. Then when he comes back, he can cheer me up by telling me how you are getting along. I have no one else like Timothy who genuinely cares about your welfare. All the others care only for themselves and not for what matters to Jesus Christ. But you know how Timothy has proved himself like a son with his father. He has helped me in preaching the good news. I hope to send him to you just as soon as I find out what is going to happen to me here. And I have confidence from the Lord that I myself will come to see you soon. You know, Paul was planning on sending Timothy to the Philippian church to encourage them, but he didn't know exactly when he'd be able to send Timothy. He wanted to wait until his court case was decided. He wanted to know whether he would be freed from house arrest or whether he would be executed. And Timothy's job would be the one to deliver the news to the church in Philippi. And he was the perfect man for the job. Why do I say that? Well, number one, he was with Paul on the second missionary journey when Paul started the church in Philippi. So he knew the people there, and he had a special relationship with the believers there. He had a a real heart for them, just as the Apostle Paul had. And, And literally, in the Greek, Paul said that he had a real soul for the believers there. I guess you could call them soul brothers. All right, I'm going to let that one go. Oh, borderline, they're soul brothers, okay. But uh, I guess uh, that Timothy also had a, a proven track record in ministry. He had been used by God on several occasions to go to different churches that Paul had started to encourage young believers in the faith to teach him and to strengthen them, and he had to a powerful track record as far as his word, as far as his example. He worked side by side with the Apostle Paul. He was like a loyal son serving with his father. And so Paul saw him in action. He knew his character, knew his heart, knew his potential. Timothy was a perfect choice to go to strengthen the church in Philippi. And God had given uh, Paul, didn't give Paul a word, but gave hope in his heart that he would soon be released and be able to start preaching again throughout the Roman Empire. And tradition tells us, church history tells us that, that uh, Paul was released from that first imprisonment and that he did uh, serve the Lord and he went uh, an itinerant ministry from place to place in the Roman Empire uh, for a few years, maybe even several years before his second imprisonment. But, but I want us to turn our attention back to Timothy. And the question is, what quality did Timothy excel in more than other qualities and more than other people? What was the quality 
that he had a reputation for. And then we see that in verses 20 through 21. I have no one else like Timothy who genuinely cares for your welfare. All the others care only for themselves and not for what matters to Jesus Christ. What did he excel in? He genuinely cared for people. He consistently put the needs of other people first. Now, Paul was writing this letter from Rome, and he made a comment concerning the Christians in Rome at that time. He said, unfortunately, too many of those Christians around him in Rome were self-serving. They were putting their own wants and needs and wishes and desires first rather than putting the desires of Christ first in their lives. And so the power of humility in Timothy's life manifests itself in genuine care and concern and commitment to help and serve other people. And that's one of the genuine hallmarks of the humility of Christ. And we discovered that a few sermons back in Philippians 2, 4, uh, Paul wrote, he said, don't think only about your own affairs, but be interested in others too and what they are doing. Now, that's just common sense, right? That just should, should be like two plus two equals four. But not everybody gets that. You know, not everybody is imprinted that way. That selfish na nature seems to take over. But putting the needs and cares of others, be concerned about it. Be aware of what's going on in other people's lives and care about them. And that's really what the Christian faith is, and that's what humility is able to empower us to do. Like what I said before, when it came to genuine care and concern for other people, Timothy was a shining star. That was the power of humility in his heart. You know, I was reflecting on the different ministers I've served under uh, before I came to this, this church. I served under... Uh, three other ministers in two different churches. Uh, first church I was at, there were two ministers I served under. And in the second church I served at in Downey, there was a, a third minister I served under. Out of those three ministers, the one that had the greatest impact on my life was the one, the man from Downey, because he genuinely cared for people. He may not have been the best preacher out of those three preachers, he may not have had the most successful church out of those two churches, but he had the most biggest impact, that example he set for me to genuinely care about people. That's the important thing, isn't it? And I, I want to, do you mind if I do a little rabbit trail here? It's nice to have, it's nice to have Keith back with us, but I've heard uh, that Keith has maybe been a little bit lonely because he got rid of his buddy pack this week. He's, he's without his backpack, and we're thanking God for that. Yeah, yeah. And so the Lord's, Lord's making progress little by little. Amen. All right, now you, you might say, Dave, come on. Um, you know, uh, yeah, Timothy wasn't a full-on apostle, but he was as close to an apostle as you could get without being an apostle. And so... You know, um, you know, maybe we don't have to take it all that seriously. Again, I don't want us to fall into the excuse trap. And I came across a story of a lady who had the same spirit of genuine concern for other people, similar to Timothy, similar to Paul, similar to Christ. And it's a story that was uh, related by Leith Anderson, who was a, a, a minister, a, a, an author in uh, Minnesota. <clears throat> And he wrote this. He said, I've been blessed 
by some truly humble people. Uh, one I remember most is Joan Hollister Gilbert. Joan was a delightful person who had a long, difficult, and courageous battle against cancer. During her illness, her husband Jack was diagnosed with cancer, and she had to deal with that and eventually with Jack's death. A few years later, when Joan was dying, with just a few days left to her life, she invited Charlene and me to come and sit by her bedside, and she said she knew she was going to die, and she talked about it. And most people, in, in my experience, choose not to do that. She said she wasn't afraid. She said she was excited about entering the presence of God. But that was by far the shortest part of the conversation. Most of the time, she talked about people for whom she was concerned. She talked about us and our children, and she talked about her children and the children of others. And I found out that on that day, and the day before, and the day after, Leading right up to her death, she invited a whole list of people to come to her bedside so she could bless them before she died. Those who could not come, she talked with on the phone. If anyone ever had a right to be self-concerned, if there was ever a time when she had every justification to be primarily focused upon herself, it was Joan, and it was right then. But she lived out humility. She cared more about others and their needs than she cared about herself and her own needs. Humility is for every believer. Amen. Not just for Timothy and Paul and Christ. It's for every believer. Well, I want us to move on to the second shining star of humility, a person who had the same mind as Christ, the same mind as Paul, the same mind as Timothy. And we're going to read a story in verses 25 through 30, and we're going to call him Mr. Charming. Meanwhile, I thought I should send Epaphroditus back to you. He's a true brother, a faithful worker, and a courageous soldier. And he was your messenger to help me in my need. Now I'm sending him home again, for he's been longing to see you, and he was very distressed that you heard he was ill. And he surely was ill. In fact, he almost died. But God had mercy on him and also on me that I would not have such an unbearable sorrow. So I am all the more anxious to send him back to you, for I know you will be glad to see him and that that will lighten all of my cares. Welcome him with Christian love and with great joy and be sure to honor people like him. For he risked his life for the work of Christ. And he was at the point of death while trying to do for me the things you couldn't do because you were far away. Paul is sending Epaphras or Epaphroditus back to his home church. He was sending him immediately, even before he sent Timothy. And, and Bible scholars believe that Epaphroditus was either the pastor of the church of Philippi or maybe one of the teaching elders. And the church gave him a mission, a very important mission. The church told him to, to bring their generous offering to Paul to help out with his expenses while he was under house arrest in Rome. And so Epaphras did that, and he accomplished his main mission. But while he was in Rome, he started serving and helping Paul in every way that he could. And there was a close bond between Paul and Epaphroditus. And Epaphroditus was a very strong encouragement to Paul in a time when he needed encouragement. Don't you love people who are encouragers that encourage you when it, you need it the most? We got to praise the Lord for that. 
But then uh, Epaphroditus got sick, and the church back home heard about it, and they were very, very concerned, very upset. And it was taking him probably longer to get back than they thought, and so they probably had sent a you know, messenger, what's going on? How come Epaphroditus isn't back here, and is Epaphroditus okay? And so some of the Bible commentaries think that Epaphroditus was probably sick for two or three months. See, it took anywhere from four to six weeks to uh, travel from Philippi to Rome, another four to six weeks to send a messenger back with the news. And so that would be anywhere from two to three months. And, uh, you know, they didn't have cell phones, and they couldn't send emails. But that's the way things work. And Epaphras had a, a similar genuine heart, a genuine concern for people that Timothy and Paul had. You see, he was getting homesick, and he, he didn't want the church family back home to be so distraught about him, be so upset about the news that they heard. And so Paul sent him back home so that they could see that he was okay. And when they saw that he was okay, they would be okay. And when Paul knew that they were okay, then Paul would be okay. You know, how we are doing affects more than just ourselves. It affects a lot of people. Amen? Now, I hope you'll bear with me just for a side note here. But uh, it's important, I think, to clarify something. From Epaphroditus' experience, from his sickness, we see that it's not, it is not God's will to miraculously heal everybody all the time. Now, God does heal miraculously, but for some, it may not be God's will. Uh, it, it, for, for others, you know, maybe it is God's will. You, you, you can't really say, oh, I'm a Christian. I know God's going to miraculously heal me. No, the Bible doesn't teach that. It might be God's will, but then again, it may not be God's will. And the, re the reason why I said that is that Paul did not use his miraculous gift of healing to, to heal Epaphroditus. And he was sick for two or three months. Now, I'm sure that Paul prayed for him just like we can pray and should pray and do pray for the, our brothers and sisters who are sick. Um, but sometimes God will heal right away when it says will, but sometimes God lets nature run its course. And when you think about it, Paul had a thorn in the flesh that he prayed a number of occasions that God would re remove this thorn in the flesh. Well, God didn't remove the thorn in the flesh. He had a greater purpose for that thorn. And, and so there's power in humility and there's power in staying humble. And that was a purpose for the thorn in Paul's flesh, to keep him humble so that God can continue to use him. And, and Timothy, later in life, had stomach issues as he got older. And Paul didn't use his gift of miraculous healing to, to uh, heal Timothy. And on another occasion, Paul said that he had to leave Trophimus sick in Miletus. Paul didn't use a gift, miraculous gift of healing to heal Trophimus. You see, our job is to simply pray, and we have to leave the rest up to God. We have to leave the rest up to God's will. And if God wants to heal, he will. But if not, then we accept it. God has a greater purpose. But I want to get us, get us back to Epaphroditus. What quality 
did he excel in? And, and Paul called him three things. He said that he was a fellow brother, he was a fellow worker, he was a fellow soldier. And those are excellent terms, but I think there's something else that was involved. And, and Paul didn't look down on, on Epaphroditus. He, he treated him as an equal, if you will, a fellow brother, a fellow worker, and a fellow uh, soldier. But I believe the key is found in verses 29 through 30. Welcome him in Christian love. Welcome Epaphroditus when I send him back to you. Welcome him in love and with great joy and be sure to honor people like him. Why? For he risked his life for the work of Christ and he was at the point of death while trying to do for me the things you couldn't do because you were far away. He was willing to sacrifice his life to serve the Lord, to serve Paul, to serve his church, to do stuff on behalf of the church that they couldn't do because of the distance. He was willing to sacrifice his life. I think in, literally in the Greek, he was willing to gamble his life. And what do we learn from the life of Epaphroditus? The power of humility gives us the power to take some risks for God's service. I'm going to say that again. The power of humility gives us the power to take some risks for God's service. I'm not going to do a, a hand count here, but I know if, if some of you are like me, there's security in trying to keep things the same. You know, it's kind of a, it's, it's a fearful thing sometimes to step out in faith to take some risks. But, but the thing that we learn from these two stellar examples of humility is, number one, we can have the mind and humility of Christ, which will give us the strength to put others first, to really genuinely care about others. And we will have a greater impact on other people than maybe all the other people in their life when we genuinely care for them. You know, they remember that, they appreciate that. But the other thing that the power of humility gives us is it gives us the ability to step out in faith and take a risk for God, to get out of our comfort zone. I remember a sermon I heard many, many, many years ago, even before I became a minister. That was over 40 years ago. Wow, I'm an old guy. It was a sermon, I think the title of the message was, We Have Not Come This Way Before. It was based on Joshua 3, verses 2 through 4. And it's uh, relaying how God led the people of Israel, the generation of faith, that led them into the promised land. And he, pro he parted the Jordan River so they could get into the promised land. And uh, it, it reads this way. It came about at the end of three days that the officers went through the midst of the camp and they commanded the people saying, when you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God with the Levitical priests carrying it, then you shall set out from your place. You have to leave that comfort zone. And you go after it, you follow it. However, there shall be between you and it, the, the Ark of the Covenant, a distance of about 2,000 cubits by measure, which is about three quarters of a mile. Do not come near it, that you may know the way by which you shall go. Follow it, it's leading you, for you have not passed this way before. You have not come this way before. God calls us many times in faith to walk and to follow his leading 
and to come a way that we have not come before, to take some risks, to get out of our comfort zone. Every risk that we take for God's service is well worth it. And so we can follow the example of Timothy and become genuinely caring people, and we can follow the example of Epaphroditus and serve the Lord even though it may cost us. And there are some costs involved. Many times, no, but other times there may be. We just never know. But following the Lord, you know, you're, he's going to lead us in a way that we have not come before, but we can trust him. We can walk through the parted waters because we're following God.